Good evening, friends. It's uh, good to see you this evening. I hope you got a copy of the outline before you came in. There are a couple of blanks in there to fill in as we go through. You might find that helpful as a way of uh, both listening and uh, following. Uh, but as we come, uh, we'll be looking through this part of uh, Luke chapter 13 together. Uh, some of us really enjoy having lots of people around and gathering for a party is the best. Uh, some of us, of us feel more comfortable with just the family around and, and we also appreciate the joy of everyone gathered together. Uh, in fact, if someone can't make it to a gathering that we might have, whether it's a gathering of our friends or family, uh, there's a sense of disappointment, even if it's not their fault to be there. You see, God has made us as social beings. We really enjoy networking together. And God has, God has especially made us for a relationship with himself, uh, but not as individuals. So the relationships we have with God, we might have a one-to-one -one relationship, but, it's, but God has made us for, to all of us to have a relationship with him. And it's, uh, he is gathering us together so that we will be together in relationship with him. And the picture of heaven that's most often in the New Testament is that of a party. Uh, churches, God's people, gathered together. It's a foretaste of heaven. And the privilege of hearing then God speak to us of being with him, of speaking with him, and of being his people and sharing together is, is what we see is that picture of heaven. And in the last chapters that we've just read in Luke over the last couple of weeks, Jesus has called the Pharisees to repentance, to change their attitude chiefly towards him, just like the Old Testament prophets did. Today the focus changes as Jesus teaches that God is gathering his people and Luke chapter 13 shows us the supreme importance of being one of God's gathered people. So let's pray with me as we come to look at this passage together. I'll lead us in prayer. Dear Father, in your wisdom and love, you chose and called a people to be your very own and we are humbled to be your people. And today as we gather to hear you speak to us, open our minds, we pray, that we may more fully understand the wonder and the privilege and the delight of being your gathered people. As we see what you have given us, may our hearts delight in thanks and praise to you. Amen. Well, in this passage we're going to have a look at, I think there are three things to keep in mind. First, Jesus teaches that God is gathering his people to his kingdom. God is gathering his people to his kingdom. Second, Jesus says, make sure you are part of that gathering. Make sure you are part of God's gathering. Thirdly, we see that we are gathered by Jesus to be in his kingdom. There are three key points there. It's God's work, and the first point shows us that uh, as God is gathering people into his kingdom, it's his work. He will achieve that work. He will accomplish it. It's not too hard for him. He'll do it. Secondly, the call to each of us, make sure you're part of it, tells us you can't just sit back and just say, oh, God will do it. I don't have to do anything. You are called on to make sure you are part of that kingdom. You have a responsibility to act on what you hear about him. Thirdly, we see that we are gathered by Jesus to be in his kingdom. I don't get there myself. Someone else gets me there. I've got a responsibility to act. Someone else gets me, that person of Jesus. Okay, if you're following on the outlines, I'm up to the second heading on there. 
And in the, we see in verses 18 through to 21, Jesus tells two parables, about two stories, if you like, about the kingdom of God. Uh, if, two pictures that illustrate the kingdom of God. If you're asked to, what's, an, what's a, a, a picture that illustrates the kingdom of God? Here are two of them that Jesus himself has given us. So, and because he is from the kingdom of God, because he is from heaven, he knows what he's talking about. Uh, the first one is that of the seed, the mustard seed growing. And just tells us that the kingdom has small beginnings, just the seed, but a huge outcome. The mustard seed, very small, grows into a huge tree, large enough to provide home for many, many birds. So the kingdom of God is focused on one person. That's very small. It's focused on one person, Jesus. That's, he's the beginning of the kingdom of God. But he builds the kingdom so big, there is room for everyone. Come and find your home with Jesus. The second parable, verses 20, 21, is the yeast mixed into the flour. And it shows that the kingdom of God will affect every person. The yeast, the yeast is mixed through the flour and it raises the whole bunch of, the whole bunch, a batch of flour and uh, affects it all. Uh, and part of what Jesus is saying, I think, is Jesus, who is treated as being insignificant by the Pharisees, and yet he will affect every single person that's ever lived, including the Pharisees. You can't avoid Jesus. Every person is answerable to him as king. He is judge of all. People who reject him now will stand before him later as their judge. People who receive him now will be welcomed by him. And as king in God's world, he will affect every person. He can't be ignored. He is not impotent. That means he's not weak, he's not weak and cannot do anything. He is mighty and he rules. In verse 29, he throws back the curtain and shows us who is in the kingdom of God. And he shows us there that there will be people gathered from the east, north, west, south, and taking their places in the kingdom of God. That is, he's saying, people from all around the world will be in the kingdom of God. All around the world. In part, what he's saying to you and to me, make sure you're there. So, the whole world is on view, not just one nation. Remember? The vision that Jesus gave to John in Revelation and Jordan John saw a whole multitude of people there gathered from every nation. We see the fulfilment, that picture of Revelation showing us every people from every nation gathered is the fulfilment of God's promise to Abraham that through you all nations will be blessed. There is God's plan to bring people from every corner of the, of the world, every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue to himself that's what the kingdom of God is like and at the end of Luke's gospel chapter 24 at the very end we see verses 45 to 49 we see him sending his disciples out to, uh, to send invitations for everyone to come to the party he says thus it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem this is after his death and resurrection. He's sending them out. He says, guys, go to it. And as the gospel proclaimers go through the world announcing the good news of sins forgiven and calling for repentance, we see people from every nation respond to the call. People come from north, south, east and west. 
And while that's the case, in verse 25 and 30, we see there are some surprising omissions from those who come to be in the kingdom. Jesus pictures the door of the kingdom being shut and some being shut out. They knock on the door and they say, Sir, open the door for us. And he answers, I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. You notice how they respond to this rejection. They say, but we ate and drank with you. You taught in our streets. We know you, is what they're saying. Of course you know us then. And the owner of the house says in reply, who finds the door shut? These ones will find the door shut in their face because, he says, Jesus says, yes, you heard about me, yes, and I walked in your streets. I taught in your synagogues, but you rejected my teaching. You said I cast out demons by the power of Beelzebul, by the power of Satan. You planned to kill me. Yes, you did kill me, didn't you? But I, I know you, but I know that you are not one of my people. Here are the prophets that you have murdered. Here are the, the, the scriptures I had written about you and for you but you have added so much to them, you've ruined them. On the other hand, here are the people who have been loyal to me. No matter how you've mistreated them, they have remained true. And so in verse 30, Jesus declares, Indeed, here are those who are last and the first, who will be first and the last will be first. This is not about race, and everyone is finishing, though. But some think they're in, and the, but they will find the door locked. But notice that some people are locked out of the kingdom of God. Which people are locked out? Jew, Gentile, Jews were first, but they were God's special people. But they turned their back on God and they rejected him. They killed his prophets. They killed then his son. In sense, Jesus is saying, formal Judaism is dead. It was first, but now it's last. Not all Jews rejected Jesus. Some received him. The ones who are last now become first are the Gentiles. And we enter because God is gathering a people from every nation, language and culture. God is gathering a people for himself. God's purpose in creation was to make people, make a people for himself. He made us in his image so we can enjoy him forever. In love, he created us and gave us life and put his spirit in us and brought us to himself. God loves, he gives, and so he gathers his people together. And so the mustard seed becomes a mighty tree for all of God's people to gather and find home. And if you love his son, you are one of his people and there is room for you in his tree, if you like. Rejoice in being included among God's gathered people. So here the message is in the third heading there. Make sure you're part of that gathering of God's people. He illustrates the nature of the kingdom of God with the parables. And a man comes up afterwards and says in verse 23, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Are only a few going to be saved? The Pharisees, you see, devoted their life to following religious rules. They thought they might be good enough for God just. Good people. But what about the ordinary people then? What about those who did not meet these, these requirements so seriously and take them so seriously? 
In a sense, the question also asks, what, a, what vision does God have of the kingdom? What are his plans? Are only a few going to be saved? Jesus does not answer the question directly. In fact, to ask the question it suggests that you don't think you're in. Instead, Jesus gives a warning. Second part of verse 23. He just says, strive to enter. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. A narrow door? Why a narrow door? Well, not to make it difficult, but to observe every person who enters. That is, you only enter because the owner lets you in. Uh, when I went to England, we'd see quite a few castles and things, and there, there was usually one part in the castle where you actually had to sort of bend down to get in. You could only, only room for one person to go through at a time. You couldn't come through with uh, your weapons raised or anything like that. You had to bend down to come in. And that was to make sure that everyone who entered the castle was safe, known to the owner. A bit like, I guess you could say, there's a ticket collection. Have you got the right ticket to enter? The doorman, Jesus, grants permission and opens a door for everyone who may enter. But not everyone is granted access. For some, entry is denied. And so Jesus says here, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to do so. They are scary words. Jesus is very clear, not everyone enters his kingdom. In fact, in the parable he said, many will try to enter and will not be able to. You really want to ask, well, who's in and who's out? Uh, to answer that, we need to realise, well, who shuts the door? The ticket's not valid, entry is barred. In verse 25, it's the owner who shuts the door. Do you notice the reply of those who have been shut out, though? Uh, we ate and drank with you. You taught in our streets. Notice they recognise the one who bars them. Who did they eat and drink with in their streets? Well, it was Jesus himself. Who shut the door? Jesus shuts the door. The judge, the king. The king they rejected. It is Jesus at the door who let to let the people in or to keep people out. What's the basis of entry then? Verses 25 to 27. Who's in and who stays out? Well, first, what does the owner say to those who are shut out? I don't know you and I don't know where you are from. The word know can mean to know about a person and it can mean to know someone intimately, very closely, to be in good relationship with that person. Uh, Peter, when, he's, uh, when Jesus is on trial with the, at, uh, in, the, in, the, in the high priest's temple, um, he's, uh, one of the servant girls comes up and says, as Peter's warming his hands and the fire being a cold day, I know you. You're one of his followers. Your, your accent, it gives you away. Peter says, I never knew the man. It's that sense of, I have no association with him. I wasn't his friend. I don't know him. And Jesus is saying, won't they be terrible words to hear from Jesus on that day? I don't know you. But so he's giving people the chance now, not just to know about him. The Pharisees knew about Jesus. They knew about him but they didn't want a thing to do with him. In fact, they wanted to kill him. 
So the difference comes there's no, it's not about, not, uh, sorry, it's about rejecting the person of Jesus himself and not wanting him to be in your life. Those outside uh, knew, know about Jesus. They could recognise him. They knew where he lived. Perhaps they also know they killed him. But they didn't know him. They were not in good relationship with him. They did not accept his words or his teaching or his claim to be God. They rejected him. They had never come to him for forgiveness. They have never repented of rejecting him. They are the ones who are shut out. And those inside, who are the ones who are in? Well, they're the ones who've realised that Jesus' death has paid for their sin. They have been forgiven that he is Lord, their Lord, and they've given their life willingly, gladly to him who loves them so. They are the ones inside. And verses 29 to 30 shows us it's worth being there. Jesus says people will come from east and west, north and south, all around the world, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. People across the world will be there. And, the apostle, and God gives the Apostle John a glimpse into heaven as uh, in, in Revelation chapter 16. And John writes there, this is what John sees in that vision. There before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Here are the people of God. Here are the ones Jesus has saved, and they know it. And I want to say, I trust that you too will be holding the palm branches and shouting, salvation belongs to our God when you're there in the kingdom of heaven. Don't you reckon? That's what we're hearing of him now. All those who trust in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour will be there. Are you looking forward to seeing him? Realising the fullness of the salvation that he's won for you and for all his, his people. And don't you reckon you'd find your tongue and your voice would be the same as, as loud as the others? In tune or not, it wouldn't really matter but the joy of being at his feast. It's better than winning the World Cup, better than a complete new wardrobe, better than early retirement, and uh, it's better than paying off that last mortgage or payment on your house. All of those are great experiences, but they will fade in time. And look at what Jesus says we're gathered there for. We are there gathered there for a great feast prepared for all of God's people, a great celebration, and all of God's family is gathered. Church is a picture of that family. The whole church is gathered there in heaven. We, as we gather now, are an expression of that church. Uh, church is the gathering of God's people. And when you realise this, you understand Jesus' words, strive to enter. Make sure you're there. How? Well, make sure you know Jesus. It's not that there's a test. Tell me Jesus' six favourite tunes or what's his favourite sport. But do you know his forgiveness? Do you know him as Lord? Do you live with him as your Lord? The ones that get locked out are those who persist in rejecting him. Those who want nothing to do with him in their life. Those who want to live for themselves. And friend, don't be there. Come to know Jesus. In the last section of the chapter, it shows us that we are gathered by Jesus. That's the fourth heading. And in verse 34, the good news is that Jesus affirms is, I have come to gather, is what he says. And he's, he looks over the, the town of Jerusalem. 
is that's where he's on his way. And you know why he's on his way there. Uh, that's where death is awaiting him. And he knows that's the appointment that he's going to keep. And so as he's there just before entering Jerusalem, he looks over the city and he thinks, I've come to gather my people. And he says there, how, long have I, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers its chicks under its wings. What a great picture. There's the warmth, the closeness, the protection, the being with one another who protects. What a great picture. You see, Jesus does not sit back and hope you come to him. He steps in and he gathers his people. Jesus sees Jerusalem in a distance and with deep sadness he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers its chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. And you might capture the sadness in his heart as he says that. Gathering is rejected. Those who, uh, those who are out of the kingdom really lock themselves out. Is there someone in your family, someone you care for, who's not yet part of God's kingdom? Husband, wife, parent maybe, son or daughter, a friend. Perhaps you've spoken many times to them, prayed about it many, many times. Brought, perhaps brought them to events, but you haven't seen any movement. Uh, it's a sadness perhaps and perhaps a hopelessness that clouds your heart. Uh, in my, uh, for me, uh, my dad was uh, about fortnight before he died. Uh, he was in hospital. He had stopped eating. Um, I was seeing him speaking at his bedside, and I just indicated to him, "Would you like me to read one of the psalms?" And he looked at me and shook his head. Uh, and I thought, "Okay, you see." My dad believed in God, but for him, he explained to me earlier in life, God was out there. God is so big and so huge that he doesn't want, he's not interested in me, and in fact said it's an arrogance to think God would be interested in me. But that's also a protection mechanism, because it means if God's not interested in me, I don't have to be interested in him. And it meant he could keep God at arm's length. Jesus is the opposite. He's like a hen trying to gather its chicks. Come to me, come to me, come to me. My brother, uh, young, I've got two brothers, one uh, both younger than me. Uh, and the one I'm thinking of at the moment, uh, he's in Canada, very successful businessman. Um, he and I were... Uh, looking at some, he'd come over here to see uh, see a family, and we're uh, having a trip uh, down down to Koyama, and uh, we're just talking, and I uh, just asked him about his uh, picture of God, his opinion of God. He said, "I believe in God, but just like my dad, he's out there. Can't know him." His words to me at that time were. Uh, where have I written it down? I like to think of God as being out there. I can't know him. But 
you've heard so much as you've been reading the Bible to know that that's not the story of God. God has come to us. He's revealed himself to us so we can know him. He is interested in you. And he loves you to the extent that his son dies for you. Just to say out there I can't know him is a pretense. To say I don't, have to, uh, I don't owe God anything. And I can get on with my life for me. Uh, that was how I was living my life for around 20 years of it too. Until God made himself known. Brought me to repentance. Do you notice those verses? How many times... Jesus came many times to gather his people, but they would not. Does he care? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long have I longed, how often have I longed to gather you as my children together, as a hen gathers his chicks? You can't read those words and not think there's a sense of sorrow there from Jesus. A sense of sorrow. Do you feel that way about those you love who are not yet part of God's kingdom? Jesus knows how you feel. He knows what's in your heart. What does Jesus do in response to their rejection of him? Well, he goes to the cross, doesn't he? For them. To die for those people who don't want to know him. To die for those that want to dismiss him. Why? Because he loves them. He created them. And after Jesus rose from the dead, thousands of those who had heard him when he was alive gave their lives to him as disciples, including Pharisees and priests. Read through the opening chapters of Acts. Indeed, through his death and resurrection, Jesus won a great gathering from every nation and every culture and every language. And he's gathered his people. He is now gathering his people. And united together in our common bond to him as our Lord and Saviour, it is Jesus who breaks down the barriers that divide us. And he is the one who makes us one, one people, his people. And I want to say, let's rejoice then in being part of God's gathering. This is an occasion to look forward to with all your heart. You won't get there and discover there's something extra to pay uh, on the bill. You won't get there and discover that you're cleaning up after a once in 500 years cyclone or something. When you get there, the party will be ready. Right? That's what we're going gathered for. The party will be ready. God's family gathered to celebrate and rejoice. And he's saying to us, look forward to it. And make sure you get as many people there as you can. You see, we are God's gathered people. Jesus has gathered us for eternity. That picture in Revelation highlights where all those who love Jesus will be for eternity. Part of that gathering is what we do here Saturday, Sunday by Sunday. And as his people, we gather week by week. We gather to hear him speak. We gather to encourage one another and we gather to rejoice in being his people and the unity we share together. And we gather so that we might love one another. And where our sin disturbs and hurts and divides us, we need to rebuke ourselves and remain and maintain the unity that God's given us in his son. But as we gather, let's use the opportunity to encourage each other, just in fact as we are doing. It's great seeing dinner after church and the opportunity we've got there to gather and, and just talk to, to, uh, about things. It's good to encourage each other in our life as God's people at, at that point and not just let the time drift by. Uh, encouraging one another and living as his people and that because Jesus is gathering people from north and south and east and the west and he said, make every effort to enter. Strive to enter is his message to us. Let me pray.
Father, thank you that you made us in your image and that you have chosen us to be in your family. Thank you for opening our eyes that we uh, see Jesus, realising that his death had paid the penalty for our sins. Thank you for welcoming us into your family. Please help us as we meet others day by day and give us the opportunity to invite them to join us around for your throne enjoying your feast. And what a great day to look forward to. As we wait, please strengthen us to live as your faithful people and our hearts and minds looking forward to joining you in that great banquet. Amen.